Welcome to the Miles Not Included podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Brian. Run with us as we talk training, racing, and everything in between. Welcome to episode 17. This week, we catch back up with Nate Brown, who ran Boston. Let's first talk about Miles in Review. Hey, Brian, what's going on over there? Are you still just lounging around, enjoying your post-race glow? Fun in the sun, man. Fun in the sun. Literally. Uh, too much yard work going on over here. Not enough running. Uh, see, that I don't have that problem. I've got the townhouse thing, so that's... Nice part about living in a townhome, no yard work, no snow, bad part, HOA. But anyway, so what's going on? So I guess uh, in terms of running, not a whole lot. Um, I'm still on my recovery here. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday night. I'm actually really looking forward to going for a run Monday morning. I've been itching for it for about a week now. Um, I have managed to stay somewhat active yeah, I've gotten a bit of cross training here and there. Nothing, nothing over the top. I'm, you know, not packing on the pounds. All upper body now, Joe. Um, but I did actually go for a bike ride this morning, about thirty, thirty-five minutes on my mountain bike. Nothing fast. Um, actually, the first two miles of it, I was riding alongside my wife, um, and then she said, "Okay, you aren't working hard enough. Go ride without me." So I went off ahead. And then met back up with her as she was running into the driveway. So <laughs> that's good. You got the itch to get back into the running, though. I think that's a a great sign, right? That that fire's starting to rebuild, and the body's ready, but more importantly, the mind is. Yeah, sometimes you you know it's not even so much about letting the body recover; it's that mental refresh. And I do feel refreshed, so that's good. I'm hoping to hit it hard. Well, hopefully, the weather will cooperate. We've continued to have just not the greatest spring so hopefully the t- the temps will crack 50 and that'll make getting out in the mornings that much easier hey i'm actually happy with the weather as it is right now aside from yesterday you know the highs in the mid 50s lows in the mid 40s just those mornings are those mornings uh, it was upper 20s the other morning that's that's a little bit tough yeah that one uh i'll pass on that let I me rephrase. To get back into the tights. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say in in the middle of April or late April, the the twenties are kind of tough. In December, you'll take that all all month long. Well, you can uh, you can enjoy your morning run tomorrow as you think about me jumping in the car to go do my morning physical therapy. That's what that's my big excitement that awaits tomorrow. So now, from what I recall, you mentioned you have run a couple of times. I I did, and actually, uh, it <laughs> the first couple were okay, and then um, maybe the third or fourth one might, might have even been yeah. Anyway, it uh, it just jumped on me, and everything started coming back. So I shut down the running, um, and had to take just a couple of days off of all activity because I was really starting to lock up. I th- main it's it's the piriformis I think is the main driver there that continues to give me problems. So I let that simmer down and um, try to get back at it this week. So when it flares up, is it while you're running or is it afterwards? So I, while I'm running, it's typically, it's been tightness. Um, I know the progression of it, though. If I keep going, if I go for the next run, it's going to be that little bit tighter and a little bit achier. And um, So yeah, so far I've managed to contain it mostly to 
tightness, achiness, um, the range of motion's not quite there. It's just, it's off is one way to describe it. Just not right. So, uh, but yeah, I'd started feeling it after that last run. I started feeling it just walking around, which is the telltale sign that it's not going to get better if I keep going. So, so I'm working on my non-running streak. I'm up to, I'm up to seven days now or something ridiculous like that. Uh, but yeah, I'll hit it tomorrow. I'll see where I am. Um, and reevaluate, re take stock. And I, I got to do something here because I'm not seeing a lot of progress at this point. I, I thought I was optimistic. I know when we talked and the time before that, that I'd be back in just a couple of weeks. But at this, at this pace, I'm, I'm going to be shelved for a long time. So do the doctors think they have figured out what it is and, you know, have you on a PT path to fix it, not just manage it? Yeah, so it, it's a lot of that strengthening and, you know, lateral um, working on all, basically all the muscles there, just trying to get everything up up to uh, up to speed. And I'm getting a ton of soreness after the workouts, which is something that surprised me. In the past, maybe it's age, right? <laughs> I don't know. But in the past when I did this, yeah, I'd be sore the next day. and But, you know, two days after, I'd be okay. Now it's, I mean, I am feeling this good. So, um, and maybe it's a reflection too of just falling out of shape further. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you do those band walks for two minutes and I, I, it's like the worst pain that I could imagine. Uh, maybe because I've forgotten the pain of the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon, and the marathon. But it true, it truly is. It, it's it's a pretty brutal. It's brutal work. Um, you know, I don't mind it, and I I totally get it. But at this stage, I'm just not seeing it translating into feeling better on the run. Um, I can get through most of the exercises and feel okay. Um, and I feel like my range of motion might be getting a little bit better when I'm doing some of the stretches, but. Not not seeing where it's it's helping on the run. So I don't know if it's a matter of just keeping it shut down for a little bit more time and letting some of that inflammation go away. Probably the biggest change is I'm off all the pain, med pain meds. <laughs> so I was on anti-inflammatories for the better part of a month. So I wonder, too, if that's not part of it, right? You're on those. It dials down you know, whatever it might have been, a 4 to a 2 or a 5 to a 3 or something like that. And so maybe I'm just really feeling what was happening that was being masked before. But yeah, it's hard. It's it's I can't lie. I'm getting you know getting a little bit disgruntled, and uh, we'll see. So where do you go from here? You you said you know not really seeing things get better, and you were going to take stock and do something different. What do you see doing different? Yeah, so I I, you know, I think I'll talk to uh, my PT team tomorrow um i might need to boil down some of the exercises it's amazing how quickly they pile up next thing you know you've got 20 minutes worth of exercises each day um, so figure out what exercises i need to be doing uh, probably take a couple more days off and then i'm thinking go back to massage therapist just get some deep work done there and um, try to pick it back up then from there i guess back to the doc and um, get more of a diagnosis and um course of action i find it kind of funny that you 
mentioned that 20 minutes of exercise seems like you know they're giving you so many things to do when you're really doing that in place of running for an hour so you're still gaining 40 minutes back oh i am and it's all in front of the tv (laughs) so it takes me an hour to do 20 minutes worth of exercises right because it's I, i do the set of whatever i'm supposed to do and then get engrossed in whatever i'm watching and then oh yeah let's let's get to the next exercise so maybe i you know, maybe I should turn off the TV and, and get focused. That'll be the next. That's when I, you know what, if I'm not, if I'm not better by June, no TV. I'll cut that out of the, out of the PT routine. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah. Well, we'll cross our fingers. But I hope your run goes well tomorrow and uh, you have a, a good first run back. Thanks. Yeah. That's a new cycle. Looking forward to it. That's awesome. So with that, we'll get to the episode and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to a very special episode of Miles Not Included. Not the same kind of special episode if you remember different strokes back in the day. Joe, I know you are more than familiar with that episode. I'm a big fan of that uh, that show. <laughs> uh, we're joined today by friend of the show, Nate Brown. Hey, Nate, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How are y'all? Doing good, doing good. So since we spoke two weeks ago, I believe you took part in a little race. Care to tell us about it? Uh, yeah, so I got, uh, I was, uh, honored enough to get to participate in the, uh, 119th running of the Boston Marathon. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's kind of small, little town. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a lot of, I think it might've been locally on TV or something. I don't know. <laughs> that, that it's obviously a great accomplishment just to get there, but actually, you know, to be there on the starting line is, there's nothing like it as I'm sure you're well aware now. I, you know, I um, I think that I have to be honest. I was immediately intimidated when I was lined up. Um, but, you know, after talking to you guys and everybody else, it, it was even more than you expected it to be. There was just all of these incredible runners lined up around you, not to mention you're standing uh, 100 feet from the best marathoners in the world. I was absolutely intimidated, no doubt about it. So when did it hit you that you were – running about to run the Boston Marathon? I think that, you know, kind of kind of the first part of the morning is is automatically different than anything you've ever done. Instead of getting up and driving to uh, the uh, race starting line, you're getting up and I walked out of my hotel in the frigid cold and caught a bus. And uh, that was automatically, that was the first uh you know, thing that told me that I was in a whole different level of marathon than I had ever been in before. So after that, uh, I think it was after we left Athlete Village and, and walked our way up to uh, where the starting corrals were. And uh, then you just, I just kind of got the shakes a little bit. And I was, I was more nervous than I ever have been in my life, to be honest. Yeah, it's standing in those tents out there with everybody else and if you, I don't know if you had to wait in the line for the bathroom, but you're out there so early and you're just trying to get in the right headspace and everybody's elbow to elbow in there. It's, it's, it's daunting, man. Yeah. You know, I'm a guy who likes to get off on my own for a few minutes before the race, but, uh, the conditions were such that it just was important for me to stay under the tent. I mean, my feet were already cold and, and so I just tried to stay under the tent, which made it hard 
not hard, but it made it more difficult and I had to be more adaptive in the way I pre- um, I prepare, especially since I was there with a group of friends who were taking selfies and I didn't want to be like the jerk that was like, no, let me focus on the race. So, Nate, what were the, uh, what were the conditions like in the morning? In the early morning, um, when we first got to Ashley's Village, it was relatively dry, but it was very cold. I brought some throwaway clothes, shoes, and socks because uh, because from you know, tips from everybody had told me if it's wet, you want to have dry shoes to start with. So I brought all, I brought all of that, um, and then it, we got a brief shower uh, while we were under the tent. But early in the morning when I was there, it was very dry. it was still pretty dry. So what's the status with gear check these days? I know for a while they had it, and then I think they stopped it. Are they doing anything nowadays? You can check. You can check. You can pick a bag at um, at the Boston Common area, but you cannot take anything with you besides a clear bag with some food in it on the buses. I had decided since I was staying so close relatively close to the finish line, I had decided to not take anything with me just to minimize all of the nonsense after the race. Um, so I had just, my, my family and I had a plan to meet back at the, uh, the hotel lobby. I brought nothing with me except for uh, um, a little bit of, a little bit of uh, hydration to drink before the race. And I had a car- I had a handheld that I was going to carry during the race. Yeah, that's something definitely for people who are going to be running the race at some point in the future. It's something to consider is that you, a lot of races you can have your headphones and, you know, extra clothes and stuff up front, especially in Boston where you're sitting around for so long because maybe you hopped on one of the earlier buses and, you know, you may have an hour or more to sit under that tent. And like you said, it's cold, it's rainy, and, you know, you don't want to, just throw away good stuff if you didn't want to carry your phone with you or whatnot. But it's something you have to take into consideration that, you, you know, gear check may not always be an option. Absolutely. I decided um, from the time we got what what I felt was the last um, reasonable day that I could kind of figure out what the weather would be, um, I decided that I was going to take clothes that I could throw away or donate. They have all these great bags. You could, you know, just hand them to somebody and they'll donate them. For you. I decided that was all I was taking minus what I was going to be running with. Um, so I took, I took just some clothes, but I did see people that had their cell phones and everything with them and, and were plan and made plans to carry them throughout the race. So, I mean, you just have to make a, a, a decision there at the, at the Boston commons before you bus over what you want to take, with you and what needs to be left behind. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the meat of the matter. It's race <laughs> day. We're, we're lining up. You're getting in the corral. Walk us through what's going through your mind and you know how things proceed to the gun going off. Okay. Well, what I did was um, immediately after they called uh, our corral, because they call you by corral in the first wave, Immediately after they called my corral, I decided to separate myself from my friends for, for that last few minutes so that I could mentally prepare myself. So I walked. They have another, there's about a half mile walk up to where there's some more porta potties and then the corrals. I, I walked up there. I waited in line briefly, uh, well, not so briefly, but briefly comparatively to how many people were there for another porta party. 
finished all of my, you know, my last second mental preparation before I stepped in the corral, because I knew that the, the amount of people were going to be overwhelming. Then I, I did, um, I did some, some lunges and stuff outside of the corral till the very last second, um, right before they started singing the national anthem. And then I stepped into the corral immediately after that. I get anxiety when I'm around a lot of people. I'm from a very small town. I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, I've never been in anything this big. So I, I knew that in order for my own mental facilities, I needed to stay away from the crowd as long as possible. So I did that. And then right before, uh, right after, right before the national anthem, I stepped into the corral. Um, and you just look around and you see all of these great runners and you know, they're equally as good as you. It's not like a local 5k where, you know, you're standing next to a seven year old kid at the front of the line. It's, it's all these runners that worked equally as hard as you to get here, ran equally as fast as you to get here. And they look incredible. Uh, they, they look like they're in incredible shape. And I, I, I'm going to be honest, like I said earlier, I was completely intimidated. There were, there were helicopters flying over. Um, and, but then the greatest equalizer is the gun, right? You know, I had a high school coach who always told me that, and the gun is always the greatest equalizer. So it doesn't matter how you feel before a race, when the gun goes off, everybody's doing the same thing, working toward a similar goal. So as soon as the gun went off, I felt completely calm. Nate, can you take us to that uh, mental prep you talked about? What What's going on inside your head? Well, what I like to do, um, usually long before the race starts, I, I get up in the morning, I have a similar routine. Um, I read a few verses from the Bible. Uh, I listen to some a playlist of my favorite music, which is usually 90s gangster rap. It's very weird. I understand that, but that's what it is. And then once I'm on the starting line, I, I just like to kind of go over the um, the race strategy uh, that that I had set that I'd set out with my coach. Um, kind of mentally assess my body and mentally assess the the conditions. Um, and so I just kind of close my eyes and, and, and physically I just do some lunges and some stuff to warm up. I jogged around a little bit just to make sure my muscles were warm, warm because I knew that it was going to be cold, especially for this South Florida boy. So but mental preparation is just kind of assessing everything and seeing how you feel. And, and that state of mind at the, at the end of that routine, are you, um, are you calm? What, what's sort of the, the the state are you elevated are you just trying to keep that heart rate low like where are you at the beginning of a marathon since it's such a long I, long race i i am i am usually a ball of it ready to explode i as as we talked about earlier my background is shorter faster races so i do get hyped even before a marathon so my like if if you saw me at a 5k i'd be jumping up and down so i have to mentally calm myself and say conserve as much energy as possible, but I was shaking and excited and I was ready to explode, which probably would have been a bad idea. So you mentioned while you were standing there thinking and, you know, gathering your thoughts that you were going through the strategy that you and your coach had put together. Can you walk us through what that, that strategy was? Absolutely. I think that one of the biggest takeaways I took uh, from an email he sent me uh, a couple of weeks ago as we were discussing all this was don't do anything in the first five miles that would ruin the last 10 K. I think we talked about that last time. What our goal was, was to get out easy, um, and try to find our stride, um, within the first 15 K or, you know, nine and a half miles or so. 
we really wanted to be able to be be in the stride and in our pace by that time so that that would give us still another four miles or so to assess how I felt by halfway. Um, so that was kind of the strategy. And then it was to out the hills and uh, destroy the last 10K. That's kind of the strategy we had going in. So how did it actually play out then, you know, once the gun went off? Walk us through well, the race. Know, okay, so I started out... Um, I started out and I, uh, I was really kind of anxious because as you, as you know, if you, if you've been there and I know you guys have, is that as you're coming down that first hill, there's a lot of people and it's impossible to find a rhythm. So you get down, you know, to your pace, but you run up the back of somebody and there's nowhere to go. So then you slow back down and you're at a pace that's a minute and a half slower than what you want. So the first mile, and it's all downhill, um, so the first mile was kind of a battle to stay within myself and not get too frustrated. I think I came through uh, over seven minutes a mile in the first mile, which I had already talked enough to my coach to know that was okay. Um, and he had reassured me because he knew that if, I, if he hadn't reassured me, I would probably chase you know, sub-sixes for the next three miles and blow up somewhere around mile 10. Um, so what I did is I tried to stay within myself I actually had my splits here. So I came through the first 5K at 20.45. My split for a 2.48 should have been a 19.53. Now, if I remember the race correctly, I don't think I was thinking too much about it. I think I was just kind of cool and cruising. I actually felt really good. The cool weather, since I'm from Florida, the cool weather was kind of helping me. Um, And so that first 5K, I I was really cool and, and trying to stay relaxed. Did you run into any issues over that first 5K with, I mean, it's almost all downhill and it's easy to get caught up in. And I know you said you were relaxed and everything. Did you find yourself having to pull back at all? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, if, if I'm, I'm trying to mentally replay everything, I feel like I was just real relaxed. After I went out that first mile as slow as I did, I kind of just under or so relatively comparatively to the pace as I did, I was kind of under, I kind of felt like, Hey, this is going to be just how it is for the first few miles. And I kind of resigned myself to the fact that at some point I was going to have to make up pace if I wanted to run 248. So the first 5k, even through the first 10k, I stayed, stayed relatively relaxed. In fact, throughout the entire race, I did one thing completely apart from what I usually do because I didn't panic at all. So that was good. Okay. So then let's, uh, let's talk about the race as it kept developing. All right. So the next 10 to 15 or the next 10 K through the next 10 K so down to 15 K I stayed relaxed and I started trying to catch my stride. Um, and, and tried to find a pace that would be comfortable. Um, I came through 10 K at about uh, 41 minutes kept cruising and finally got my pace that I was running in to a comfortable mid six twenties. Um, and just held and continued to clip that off. Um, and then as we got to about miles 12 ish, and I knew I was there because you could hear the girls of Wellesley before you saw them. And I started making my way to the left because the right side started piling up with, with men, obviously. So I made myself my way to the left. And I kind of made a conscious decision around mile 13. 
um, that I was going to have to really go for it if I wanted to run 248. So then, without I didn't really panic because I came through the half at 125.09, uh, according to the splits on the the Boston um, app. I came through the half at 125.09, and I didn't know if I had a one. I felt good, but I didn't know if I had a 123 half in me to run 248. So I decided right there that I was going to pick it up a little bit. And that you did. I mean, I'm glancing at your splits real quick here, and you started, it looks like you start pulling back time at that point and eating it back up. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I, I had studied the course via books. Now you don't ever get a full view uh, idea of the course until you run on it. It was almost perfect. The people are just incredible being out there in the rain, but around mile 10 or uh, 10 to 13, it started to rain on us. It started to rain on us pretty hard. And I hadn't quite caught the headwinds yet because I was kind of trying to stay tucked in. Um, another thing I had talked about with my coach and, and some other road runners uh, about trying to stay tucked in out of that headwind. So I did. I, I tried to do those two things. And I came back out of um, coming down at the 25K point. I ran, I'd run a 1936 5K from the 20 to 25, 25K point. Um which and they only got faster from there. Uh, what happened at about 20k, um, which is, or I mean 30k, which is you know um, about eight or no 20 at the 30k 25k is that big downhill before you head into the hills, I believe. So somewhere around mile 15, there's a big downhill. And that's when I kind of decided right then and there that I was going to try to chase something special and not just a 248 because I, I really felt really good. Um, I was I was cruising along. The cool weather was really helping me with not overheating. Uh, I mean, it's 30 degrees cooler than what I'm used to training in, and it was raining. Um, so I really decided I was going to try to chase this uh, – chased the hills pretty hard and if I died I died but I actually ran my fastest five miles of the second half collectively in Newton I ran a 617 a 620 and a couple of 618s and then a 622 over heartbreak now based on based on these splits you had to have been just motoring by people through the Newton hills did that give you some energy there it did. So here's what I kind of, I kind of did this. I kind of had this idea going into uh, via my coach going into the hills that we would try to, you know, work hard up the hill and then near the top, get your motor running real hard so that you had all those RPMs coming down. Um, and it worked to perfection. I mean, I was coming down the backside of some of these hills at, um, you know, five fifty eight six minute pace. And it just felt incredibly easy and uh, incredibly, it felt, I can't even take anything off of that. I, it felt incredibly easy coming down the backside. Now, heartbreak did threaten to steal my legs a little bit. But the funniest thing about that was, is I didn't know it was heartbreak hills. I thought it was just another hill until I got to the top and they have all the big signs that said you were at the top of heartbreak. And that's when I started thanking the Lord and every marathon god of all time but that was the last hill because it really did threaten to um 
feel what I had left in my legs. <laughs> so you talk about feeling good. So no, no problems with the quads. Because that's one of the Not things that... Yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you got that deep in the race and you're still feeling good, that's terrific. Because that is one of the, as you well know, I mean, that first part of the course with that tremendous downhill typically beats up runners. For your training, did you do anything specific to try to get the quads conditioned to take that pounding? Well, um, not, I, I mean, besides just general strength conditioning, um, which I would highly recommend for anybody who's preparing for any hilly race, much less Boston, for any race in general. But a lot of, um, you know, um, I did a lot of, like, uh, strength training and hip flexibility and mobility stuff. And I'm, I think that helps. Not to mention, I did, like I told you before, I did two or three of my hard workouts over hills. So I was going up and down, not just, you know, sprint up a hill, jog back down. I was doing up and overs uh, through some of the bridges here and then also some of the uh, hills there in Palatka. Yeah, I think that's a. So I think that helped the quad conditioning a lot. Yeah, that, that's a great training tip there, Nate. Yeah, you got to concentrate not just on those up, but also the down to get the legs prepared for both of those stresses. And ultimately, I've, I think most of us would agree after uh, running the race, it's the downhills that typically will burn most runners. We're, it's it's kind of easy to mentally prepare and put in the, the tough uphill, but you have to make sure that you specifically prepare for the downhill. Yeah, I think that sometimes we as runners mentally prepare ourselves for the uphill without physically preparing ourselves that running downhill is hard. Um, especially when you're trying to maintain a little bit of order in that first part of the race, running that downhill is really beating up your quads because you're trying to hold back a little bit. And also you're trying to, you're trying to get your, I mean, you're running down a hill. I, I really believe that that was one of the coolest things about my overall training was that not only coach had mentally prepared me to run up hills, because that's part of that's partly mental as much as it is physical. But he physically prepared me to run down the hill, which was, which is I mean all you can ask for really. And I, I think it's a great point that you mentioned because I know you're from it's Fort Lauderdale, correct? Yes. Um, and it's generally flat there, but you did manage to seek out hill work, and you mentioned finding bridges and and you know finding any type of hill is something that people should pursue. I mean, we're from the Midwest where it's pancake flat, but we do the same thing where you can find hills and you really should. And so I think that's a great tip. Yeah. We have a great, we have a great park here and you can probably find one almost anywhere you're at that at least has some kind of rolling hills. Um, and it's one of those soft mulch trails, which is, so that really helps. That was a, that was a good place. I do a lot of, you know, even doing easy recovery runs over some soft rolling hills kind of helps prepare you for that, for that mix of up and down. Mm-hmm. That was it for, and that was it. And then coming out of heartbreak is where the the pain train started. <laughs> I um I ran coming out of coming. There's five miles, and as you guys know, and some of your listeners might, it's it's pretty much downhill as you come off of the the that final hill. Um, and I think we talked about it in in. Um, in the last podcast that when I crested that hill um, at the heartbreak hill, that was kind of my moment in the race. As we, as I told you, like I wanted to get to the top of that hill. Um, 
And so that was a real emotional kind of moment for me. And it was the first time in the race that I, that I emotionally almost kind of let it go. At mile 10, I had a little shaky moment emotionally. And then here at the hill, uh, at the top of heartbreak, I kind of started to get a little shaky emotionally. Physically, I felt fine. Mentally, I felt fine. But emotionally, I started to get a little like, like I think it kind of started to overwhelm me a little bit. You're in the Boston Marathon, and not only you're in the Boston Marathon, you're doing pretty well. And that's a great point. Back to you said about mentally preparing. Some of these races, and it's true for a lot of people who just are doing their first marathon, there, there comes a point in the race where you realize and you tell yourself, I'm doing this. And especially once you get over a milestone like Heartbreak Hill, it finally hits you that, you know, that thing that's been in your the back of your head for months now, you just passed that point. And it can be, as you said, overwhelming. Absolutely. But in, in the coolest thing about coming over Heartbreak, it was also the first time I kind of took um, a mental assessment of what I could actually do time-wise, I looked down at my watch, um, and I, on the front of my face of my watch, I didn't really, I didn't have the overall time because I was going by the clock timers at each, uh, at each 5K, or yeah, each 5K and mile area. What I had on there was my current pace and my overall pace was on the front of my watch, of my GPS watch. And that being because I kind of wanted to see at that point, I knew what a 248 marathon was. I, I believe it's a two. I can't remember now, but I think, I think it's a 624 pace. So I knew I had to be in that area to be able to finish at 248. And I remember looking at my, at my overall pace at, at, um, at Heartbreak Hill and I was all, I was at a 624. Um, so, but then, uh, I just want to read my splits coming down into Boston. I ran six minutes, 559, 602, 608. Wow. So, Four of the last five miles were under six ten. Um, I think that I think that I was riding a wave of adrenaline because I have to be honest. Everything hurt. Um, I had made a few tactical mistakes during the race. Uh, one of them was I did not hydrate well because of the cool weather. Um, I started to cramp a little bit in my calves uh, with about two miles left. Um, I. You know, looking back now from a tactical standpoint, uh, if it's especially how much I had left in the second half, I might have went out maybe a minute too slow in the first half. Um, so I was really pushing hard down the last few miles to not only um, keep it together, but I was starting to now try to suck down my half-filled uh, – uh, I, I mean, I had a handheld, but I just totally didn't even think to drink. So I'm trying to suck down my scratch labs as I'm running here threw my bottle, then just started grabbing water from the, um, from the, at a, every aid station. Cause I could feel my, could feel my legs starting to cramp up, uh, in the cafe. And then, uh, of course the, the pain in my quads was almost, uh, the worst thing I've ever felt running in my life. So walk us through those final turns going into Boston. Well, uh, we were just talking about coming over heartbreak. I was telling myself to, to, you know, keep it together. When I, when I took, when I turned, you know, when you turn right and, and even now I get a little, uh, a little, uh, emotional about it. When you turn on to Herford, like anybody who has been trying 
to do this knows about that intersection. And you make that turn and it doesn't matter. You know, at that point, it doesn't matter if you have to crawl, if you have to fight off medical people, you're going to finish the Boston Marathon, regardless of what happens from here to the finish. And for me, that became such an overwhelming experience that uh, I finally let it go a little bit, um, started to started to cry a little bit, turned on the boilspin, and it just came loose. The um, the picture that they take of you right as you turn on the boilspin is probably my favorite picture uh, from the from the marathon experience because I, you just see like a little bit of relief and a lot of pain and. But it, it kind of if you if you look at the, the face and you look at the face of anybody who's taking a turn in their marathon photos, you see a lot of pain, a lot of relief, but an understanding of knowing that you've just fulfilled a dream because you can see the marathon archway. And so I just I sprinted with everything I had in Boylston, um, and it was I just I I just I couldn't. I couldn't keep it all together the whole way. I, I crossed the finish line and collapsed, sobbing in my hands. It was, it was pretty overwhelming. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you retell it. I actually think it's funny that we gun it in that final stretch of the race when really that's when we should slow it down and take in, you know, the atmosphere, which obviously you can't do that because at that point you want, to get every second out of the race that you can. But, you know, it's like you said, you round that corner and you know you just ran the Boston Marathon. Well, you know, one of the reasons I did gun it down, and this is my silly naivety, because throughout the whole race I had known that I was about two minutes behind the race clock that I was seeing. Um, just from glance, when I glanced at the race clock because I crossed the starting line, I knew I was about two minutes behind, but when I looked up at the race clock when I could kind of see it come into view, it said 2.48 or, or 2.46 or 7 as I came down Wilson, and I was like, oh, crud, i got to break 2.48. So I took off gunning, and, I, you know, I'm pumping the fist a little bit, but just mostly just trying to get underneath underneath that, that clock in, in 2.48. And then it turned out, I, I you know, I ended up running 2.48. 246 but in that like brief moment of senility i had forgotten that i was two minutes behind the race clock (laughs) looking back on the race what are the keys that you remember what there's so many points along that course you mentioned wellesley for example you know the buzzing of bees in the distance and you get closer and then it's you know, the screaming in your ears and, you know, there's the sit go sign, you know, what are some of the, the key points that you remember? I think the one, the the most important takeaway I took that I got from this was it was freezing and it was raining and there were people, especially kids lined up these streets. Now I don't know what it looks like when it is a beautiful day in new England for them to be out on, but, I can't imagine it was more people than were there that day. I mean, there were just from the get go, there were people out screaming for you. I high fived as many kids as I could, you know, 
before I just got on to the I'm hurting and this is no fun anymore uh, idea. I, I tried to get as many kids as I, the kids were just incredible and they're giving you orange wedges. I'd never eaten an orange in a marathon before, but I had like four of them. Turns out it's genius to eat an orange during a marathon. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the kids was probably one of my favorite. And uh, for sure, the before and after the race, one of the coolest things is the way the people of Boston treat you, uh, which was incredible. I couldn't imagine that many people descending on my little part of town here wanting to run a race. I'd probably try to yell at them and tell them all the other way. But they're very nice and it's incredible. But the kids on the course is the greatest thing about the Boston Marathon, I think. It's great to hear how you soaked it up. And even though you're running you know, an insane pace and you're hurting, you still managed to to take it all in. So Nate, when you, when you talked to your coach after the race, what was his reaction? Well, he sent me, he sent me a few text messages and, uh, he was, he, he, you know, congratulations. And I, the, 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 um, commentary we exchanged back and forth was just me saying, thank you, you know, and him saying, congratulations. Um, one of the coolest things about my coach is he's a real Zen like guy. Uh, so he's never too high or too low, but you can always tell when he's really excited about something. And that's a pretty incredible kind of mixture of a dude. So he was really excited. You know, congratulations, I, I, he, you know, and, and everything. And then, you know, he gave me a few days to soak it in. And we, we just, we talked in depth today. So it was, it was really cool. He's just a, I mean, he's a really cool, for, for a guy who's off the wall like me constantly, he's like the perfect match as a coach. Yeah, it's great that you found somebody that you can work with, you can trust, and that that is key for a coach. You you got to be able to trust them, and they got to be able to uh, compliment you and get the best out of you. It sounds like you've done that. That's great. I don't want to. I don't want to be a salesman here, but his name is Kyle Kranz. He K R A N Z. He's an incredible guy. Uh, I coach both virtually and locally, but if 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 I don't fit, he's he's an incredible guy. He's just really an incredible guy. He cares about his athletes which is hard to find in an adult professional coach. He's a good guy. So let's take a tangent there. Um, tell us a little bit about the coaching that you, you're involved with. Well, what I do um, is I work with both adults and teens here locally in Fort Lauderdale, and we have a fun little group that gets together on Thursdays and Sundays, um, kind of a free coaching session um, that I, that I, you know, I'm, I, I help with some generic speed work and ideas like that. But we also have, you know, I also offer some team and, and private coach options um, through that. But most, mostly we just get together. We have a really good time. Um, there are some really fast uh, girls and guys on my team. And then there's some, some people that don't care ever about being fast. They're just out there for the fun of it. So mostly we're a fun-loving group. And then I, I just started, you know, picking up some more virtual clients. Uh, it's a lot of fun to coach virtually, to get to see and study about marathons you've probably never run in your life. So that's a little bit about what we do. Just we have a good time, and I'm ultra competitive, and some of them are, but not all of us are, and that's okay, too. So um, what's the name of this group, if people are interested in looking it's at Beast Mode Running. You can find us at beastmoderunning.com, or you can contact me at Beast Mode Running. No G on Twitter, and I'll be happy to help you out with whatever I can. 
And that's, it's great that you're doing that. You know, a lot of times that little bit of organization, like you said, even the people who couldn't really care less about running fast, they want to be part of it because it's motivation in itself, regardless of pace. It's a fun mix of competition and social group that uh, I think is invaluable to the running community. Um, because the running community is made up of such a diverse group of people with diverse goals, I think having a running club that can mix both of those together is absolutely incredible for me as a coach and for the local running community. Good stuff, man. So I guess getting back to the race for a couple of more things. Um, so you mentioned one of the things that you would have potentially done differently was your hydration. Is there anything else looking back that you would have done differently? You know, I, I, I've juggled with saying this out loud, uh, struggled with saying this out loud the last couple of days, but based on the half I ran through the hills of Newton, through the toughest part of Boston, uh, I think I started out too slow. Now, is that better than starting off too fast and bonking? Absolutely. But do I believe I left a, a 2.45-ish you know, out there? I absolutely do. And not because I didn't give everything I had in the second half, but because I gave, I had all of that left to give in the second half. Yeah, it's tough to look back and and such a great performance like you had in a monster PR on a fantastic course and say, you know, maybe I didn't do it right. But, you know, it's stuff like that that can really help you grow as a runner. So, you know, I think it's yeah, it may I mean, be tough to say, but it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, a 121 on the back half of any marathon, or a, a, let's let's not even take it that, a five-second negative split on the back half of any marathon is, is, is looking at it and going, well, that's pretty impressive. But, you know, you think about it tactically, what if I could have run 123, 122? You know, that's a faster time. I mean, you don't know, and, I'm, and I'm, I, I want to say I'm incredibly happy with what I did uh, but the competitor in me is always looking for what I could have, couldn't have done better. And one of them was, I, I definitely will tell you, hydration. I, 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 had, I still had three quarters of my, of my handheld left at about mile 21. I knew I did not drink enough. Mm-hmm. So with Boston in your rear view, and obviously it's memories that you'll have with you for the rest of your life, what's next for you? Well, um, my, uh, my goal for the last couple of years has been to create an opportunity for me to be competitively competitive, uh, at the, at an ultra distance race. Um, so I think that maybe we're going to start turning and looking toward running ultra distances, maybe even trying to be competitive, not only regionally, but maybe nationally. Uh, we'll see. Uh, like I, I, like I said, um, it's been something I've been looking forward to as much as Boston. I just wanted to get Boston in my rearview mirror and turn my focus to that. So, I mean, Florida has a great local ultra running scene, and I'm looking forward to getting involved beyond being uh, a volunteer and things like that. I'm going to start looking forward to trying to dump in some ultra races and see where that takes me. And you've made some huge leaps in performance over, I believe you've done, this was your third full marathon? 
it, it is my it's it's my fourth uh, third that I that I ran to compete in. Yeah, I paced I paced a, a friend of mine through his through his marathon. So yeah, and, and you've you've really made some improvements there. So I think it'll be a lot of fun to you know watch you take on those ultras and see what you can get out of that. So good luck with that, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. So wrapping things up, um, I know it was only two weeks ago since we asked you this question, but how can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me, uh, the team at Beast Mode Running, uh, no G, R-U-N-N-I-N. Um, I failed to mention last time I do have a personal Twitter, but it's mostly nonsense, at CoachBeast82. Uh, so there's that. And then you can also look us up on the Facebook page, Beast Mode Running. Well, congrats on a great race, a monster PR, and you know the future's looking bright for you, so best of luck. Joe, Brian, thank you all both so much for having me again. I had so much fun. Anytime you want to call me back, let me know. We'll keep you on speed dial. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. Joe is at McRunner26, and I am at RunGooseRun. Until next week, keep your shoes tied and your feet moving. Want more info on the podcast? Head over to milesonincluded.com. Are you on Twitter? We are too. Find us at MNI Podcast. Any questions, comments, or even like to be a guest on the show? Hit us up at podcast at milesonincluded.com. Music.